Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lift it up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Gospel record of Luke in chapter number 24. The Gospel record of Luke in chapter number 24. I'm going to attempt to speak in a whisper. Can everybody still hear me? That's why we have the blessings of electronics. And I think if I speak in a whisper, that I might be able to get a little bit more out of this. We're thankful for... God and who He is, <clears throat> and that we could depend upon Him. Well, if you wouldn't mind, the turn to the Gospel record of Luke. Jesus Christ has already been crucified. His body has been claimed and buried in a borrowed tomb. And now we come to the third day. The Gospel record of Luke, chapter 24. And notice with me in verse number 1. The Gospel record of Luke, 24, and verse 1. Now upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came unto the sepulcher, bringing the spices which they had prepared, and certain others with them. And they found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher, and they entered in and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. And it came to pass that they were much perplexed thereabout. Behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. And as they were afraid, they bowed down their faces to the earth. And they said unto them, Why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. And returned from the sepulchre, and told all the things unto the eleven, and to all the rest. And it was Mary Magdalene, and Joanna, and Mary the mother of James, and the other women that there were there with them, which told these things unto the apostles. And their words seemed to them as idle tales, and they believed them not. Then arose Peter, and ran unto the sepulchre, and stooping down, he beheld the linen clothes laid by themselves and departed, wondering in himself that which was come to pass. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, mark something that we find in the Gospel record of Luke 24. The Gospel record of Luke 24 and verse number 7, as the angel is reporting what Jesus had said earlier, the Gospel record of Luke 24 and verse 7, notice the phrase, the third day. The third day. And as we go to the Lord together, let's pray. <clears throat> Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come up to you, Lord, I need your grace beyond measure right now to deliver your word in the way that you see fit. I understand that it's not my words or the volume of my words. It's your word that has power. And we can trust it. I'm asking that you would guide and direct and that you could still make this because of your glory and honor just a powerful, wonderful message because of whom you are. I'm fully dependent upon you now. 
guard me, guard my throat, guard my voice. I give them to you. You use them as you see fit, Lord. If you want me to shut up, just turn off my voice. But I'm thankful that we could trust you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in the gospel record of Luke chapter number 24, <clears throat> we have this account of what had happened on the third day. The date is Sunday, April 4th, AD 30. And we have Jesus Christ, who's already been risen from the grave. And the first thing that we see is at the tomb. At the tomb. Notice in verse 1, Now upon the first day of the week, which remember is Sunday, the last day of the week, the Sabbath is Saturday. The first day of the week is Sunday. Very early in the morning, they came to the sepulcher bringing spices which they had prepared and certain others with them. Now this is important because this was um, a ritual that people had that when you would bury a body, in order to make sure that they were dead, you were supposed to go visit them every now and again and put spices. The spices were to dampen out the cell, uh, the the uh, the uh, smells. And the purpose was was that so no one was accidentally buried alive. You don't want someone buried and and then um, they come back and and uh, they die because you buried them. It was just uh, something they put within the law because God loves life and just trying to make sure that. They were there. And so they would bring spices and it would be a way to honor the person that would be dead. Now at this time, as the ladies are going, there were some other things going on in the background. You see, even though the disciples did not believe that Jesus Christ would rise from the grave, uh, you could tell by their demeanor and all throughout the rest of the gospel record of Luke 24, Jesus is dealing with their unbelief that they refused to believe. <clears throat> and so... Jesus continues to deal with this. So the disciples, they didn't believe, but the Pharisees did. The Pharisees paid more attention than the disciples. And so they went up to Pilate and they said, can we put a seal on the door? Now this was a special seal that would be broken in the penalty of death. It was something to be marked that said, uh, kind of like a do not trespass sign, like I like police tape put on a door. It would be something that would be easily seen and marked so no one would attempt to mess with it under the penalty of death. And the Pharisees had convinced uh, Pilate to put a contingent of Roman soldiers there whose job was to make sure the disciples wouldn't come steal it in the middle of the night. And so when the ladies come, they're not caring or don't know that there's a seal on the door. They don't know that there's Roman soldiers that are supposed to be there. And as they come early in the morning, they find a couple of things. Notice with me in verse 2. And they found a stone rolled away from the sepulcher. Now, there's no Roman soldiers there. They're already gone. This no seal is closing up the tomb because the stone has been rolled away by itself. This is very significant. See, in the middle of the night, Jesus Christ left the tomb. The stone was open. The Roman soldiers look inside and go, whoa, what just happened here? And they go back to report to Pilate and said, um, we were supposed to guard this tomb last night and, uh, and uh, whatever was inside is now gone. The Pharisees actually paid the Roman soldiers to lie and say that the disciples stole them in the middle of the night. Now, think about this. First of all, the disciples did not believe that Jesus was rising again. They weren't thinking about it. 
Second of all, what is a bunch of fishermen going to do against a contingent of Roman soldiers? Are they going to like overwhelm the Roman soldiers? I mean, so this is embarrassing. They're going to be paid to lie to say we fell asleep on our shift, which is penalty of death, by the way. And while we're sleeping, some unarmed fishermen come and went past us, broke into the tomb, broke the seal, stole Jesus out. We were still sleeping, all of us. And the, the Pharisees paid them to lie because it's better than the truth that Jesus rose again. And there was evidence of it by soldiers who were guarding it. And so the Pharisees said, we'd rather people believe a lie. We can't let the Jewish people believe this. And so even today, this is still a common belief that the disciples went and stole him in the middle of the night. But when the um, ladies came, clearly the disciples did not know anything about a body being missing. They came up, no Roman soldiers, sepulchers open. They scratched their heads because they were probably wondering, how are we going to open up this stone anyways? And it's already open. And so you could see them, verse number three, and they entered in and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. Could you imagine that shock? You go in and he's not there. In fact, the other gospel records explain that his clothes are folded nicely where he was at. He doesn't need grave clothes, grave linens no more. It's there. And it came to pass that they were much perplexed, puzzled, confused, Yes, absolutely. They came to go see the dead body of Jesus. But now, the stone is rolled away. Jesus is gone. His burial linens are there, folded. This is a very perplexing thing. And as they turned around, two men, which were angels, stood by them in shining garments. The word garment describes a flowing stately robe that reaches to the feet and sweeps to the ground. The word shining carries with it a flashing like light. So because of the appearance of the men and the garments that they had, these ladies, verse 5, they were afraid and bowed down their faces to the earth. And they said to them, why seek ye the living among the dead? And so the angels look down as the ladies kind of just freak out and, what do we do? This is amazing. What? And they're like, why are you seeking Jesus among the dead? He's alive. You're at the wrong spot. He's not here. And he says, verse 6, they said, Remember what Jesus said. He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he, Jesus, spoke unto you when he was yet at Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered in the hands of sinful men, and be crucified on the third day, and rose again. Verse number 8, and they remembered those words. It's almost like a kid being told something they had been taught in class. And then like, I didn't learn this. And the teacher said, remember, I did this. Oh, I remember that now. Jesus had told them over and over and over and over and over and over. And yet they had such an issue with remembering. By the way, not just them. But everybody else, Jesus throughout the rest of this chapter is going to be working on people believing that he actually rose from the dead. So it's not an idea that the disciples decided to pull a prank and steal Jesus away in the middle of the night. They didn't believe it enough to even attempt to pull a prank. They're all in depression and we're going to see that throughout the chapter. That they're depressed, they're moaning, they're complaining, they're, I don't know what to believe. So... We see here the second thing, not only at the tomb, but they believe them not. Notice with me verse 9. And return, so these ladies returned from the sepulcher and told all these things to the eleven 
and to the rest. Then it gives us which ladies were there. Verse number 10. And it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and other women that were with them which told these things to the apostles. And their words seemed to them as idle tales. Now here are these ladies that are so excited. We saw these angels at the empty tomb. They said Jesus is not here but he is risen. And the disciples are having such an issue with it. They're like, what? Are you just making stuff up? Are you on drugs? Uh, hallucination? What, what's going on here? And the disciples wouldn't believe their tale. I mean, these are reputable women. These are women who had not denied Christ. These are women that had sacrificed and done a lot for Christ on his earthly ministry in financing and supporting and preparing things. And the disciples just had a hard time believing it. It wasn't the source. It was the unbelievable that someone could raise from the grave from his own power. They were having a hard time believing God's word because they were having a hard time trusting God's character. We'd spoken about that in Sunday school. That Jesus Christ, he was a good guy and they were a follower of Christ. And this... He, we, we don't believe that he actually meant he was going to rise from the grave. It must have meant something else. He must have been talking about something else. And so they're having a hard time believing it. Even after all of this teaching. Notice with me in verse <clears throat> uh, number 12. Then arose Peter and raised to the sepulcher, stooping down, and he beheld the linen clothes laid by themselves and departed, wondering in himself at that which have come to pass. It didn't matter which the reports they heard, this is unbelievable. So much so that in the gospel record of Mark chapter 16 and verse 14, it adds that Jesus had to rebuke them for the hardness of their hearts. So we're asking the question, why did they have a hard time believing? Jesus gives the answer for the hardness of their hearts. So where does hardness of hearts come into this? Hardness of hearts comes from disobedience to God's word. When someone hears God's word and they refuse to obey it, it begins to become a little bit more calloused, a little bit more hardened. More disobedience, they become more hardened and more hardened, more hardened. That's why some of the most cynical people about the Bible are people who grew up and raised in church. Because they heard God's word, but they refused to obey it. And it made their hearts harden and harder and harder. We saw that in the lives of the disciples. Jesus said, hey boys, I'm going to be go to crucify be crucified. I'm going to raise again the third day. And they go, yeah, yeah, but who's the greatest? They ignored what he said. They disobeyed. They were concerned about themselves. All of those things brought to the idea of a hardness of hearts. Now when it's come time for Jesus to prove that he was right, they're having such a difficult time believing God's word because they've already come to the place where I don't have to obey God's word. I don't have to listen to God's word. Their hearts have been hardened towards God's word before. This is a danger all of us face, by the way. Is that when you have something that God has given you to do, it could be simple as reading your Bible every day. Well, I, I, that's good and all, but you know, I'm, it's not for me. Whatever excuse you give yourself, after a while your heart becomes more hardened. 
Bible says not forsake the assembling of ourselves. And so if you have the ability to go to church, but you choose not to, and you just show up every now and again because of that disobedience, your heart becomes to be hardened, and it makes you harder to believe the other promises of God. So having a soft heart comes when we take God's word and we obey God's word, we apply God's word. Jesus' disciples had been hearing him say over and over and over and over that he was going to rise again. But they could not believe it. And Jesus said, because of the hardness of hearts. Imagine this. We can look at it in hindsight and say, why wouldn't you believe it? But we look at all the disciples had not believed it. Why? Because they all had things they heard from Jesus' own lips that they choose not to obey, they choose to ignore, they choose to set aside. And it made it harder for them to believe in more things. We practice the same thing in discipleship that we have our discipleship in different segments. And until they are obedient to that one segment, we can't go on because their heart's going to become more hardened rather than soften. If they're not in the habit of reading their Bible, they're definitely not going to develop the habit of prayer. And if they're not in the habit of prayer, they're not going to have the habit of telling people about the Lord, being faithful to church. You see, it builds upon each other. That's why you hear me scream from the pulpit week after week. The greatest thing you could do on a daily basis is to read the Word of God. Because that's where it starts. If you won't even read God's Word on a daily basis, you're going to have a hard time believing the other promises of God. This is vital. This is where it starts. And when we disobey those things, our heart hardens even more. Then we come to the importance of God's resurrection, of the resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus Christ proved two things. First of all, it proved that Jesus was indeed God. Then it proved that God was satisfied with the payment that was made. What payment? The Bible says in Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Because of our sin, a death is required. And so we either pay the death ourselves, or someone dies in our place. Well, Jesus was qualified because of his pure purity, because of his sinless nature, because he took the form of man. He was able to die in our place. When he rose again the third day, that's the receipt of payment. That's the evidence that God said this death is acceptable. Now all we have to do is accept that gift that God has already given to us. This becomes so important that it's mentioned later on. Turn with me, if you don't mind, to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15. Inside of the book of Corinthians, we've already kind of covered before on a couple different things like evening school, that the church of Corinth was not an obedient church. What happens when you're not obedient? You begin to get a hard heart. And so, once again, the hard-heartedness now comes out where there are people in the church of Corinth that are actually coming up with excuses that Jesus Christ did not raise from the dead. Even today, we have people that say in Christian radio on printed page that Jesus Christ died for our sins, but he did not raise from the grave. Even today, we have people who make excuses for it. There are always going to be people who don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul said here in 1 Corinthians 15 that if there's no resurrection, there are going to be seven facts that are going to hold true. Now, 
If people don't believe Jesus rose from the dead, they have to replace it with a different theory. In fact, there are three common theories uh, that people have today in churches and printed in what people use to, um, <clears throat> to deny the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They have, first of all, the swoon theory. The swoon theory says that Jesus lost all this blood and he was clearly injured, but they put him in the cool or in the tomb, and in the cool morning hours, it revived him, and that he somehow got up, took off his grave stuff, moved the stone back, went past the Roman soldiers, because now he has enough strength to move. It just took three days to him to regain his strength. Well, if you go through the medical process of what Jesus went through, you know that was impossible. It was absolutely impossible. It wasn't the idea that he just passed out. And By the way, Roman soldiers know dead people. And they knew, they had several people, three witnesses, that Jesus was indeed dead. That's a whole different thing. But that's proved that Jesus was dead. There's another theory called the hallucination theory. That everyone had a mass hallucination. That they all hallucinated and saw Jesus resurrected and talking with them. By the way, this is one of the reasons why Jesus, when he saw them after the resurrection, he ate with them. Why? Because they could see the teeth marks in the apple. There was evidence that there was someone there. But that's a common theory that all these people had a mass hallucination, that everyone was such in mourning that they started hallucinating together and it just kind of spread and everyone was just imagining it. They're all crazy people. Which is kind of interesting because in the book of Acts it says that several hundred people saw Jesus all at once. So all these hundreds of people had this same hallucination. And then there's the kidnap theory which we covered before. That the disciples came in the middle of the night. Somehow went past the Roman soldiers who were sleeping. Opened up the tomb. Stole the body. Left the grave clothes there. That was nice of them. And then... Um, left without waking up the Roman soldiers. That's the kidnap theory, which is still propagated out, that, that it was some hoax that had came out. So as the Apostle Paul is dealing with the church of Corinth, he is correcting their behavior and telling them that Jesus Christ did rise. But if some reason, if Jesus didn't rise, how does that impact us? Notice, in verse 12, as he starts off this discourse, Now if Jesus be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some of you that there is no resurrection of the dead? Now people are denying that. They said, oh sure, Jesus may have risen from the dead, or maybe he didn't rise. But Paul is trying to put the idea that we, when we die, we're going to be risen again. And we're going to get a brand new body. And he's teaching that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is going to pay pave the way for us. So if Jesus be not risen, if there is no resurrection, notice this, the resurrection of Jesus would be a fallacy. If there is no resurrection, the resurrection of Jesus be fallacy. Verse 13, but if there be no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. So if people are saying that we're not going to rise again, we're not going to get a brand new body, that when we die this is it, well then Jesus Christ could not have risen. If you deny the resurrection for anyone, you have to deny the resurrection for everyone. Well, if Jesus, if there is no resurrection, then Jesus is not risen. As he goes on, he points out that if there be no resurrection, then all preaching is meaningless. Verse 14. And if Christ be not risen, then our preaching is in vain. 
Why do we spend so much time in church? Why do we come on Sundays? Because we believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If Jesus not be, be risen from the de dead, we're wasting our time. I could be at home resting my throat right now. We, don't, we wouldn't, don't have to be here if Christ isn't risen. But because he is, this is important for us to assemble together on the first day of the week to honor the Lord. Notice, if you don't mind, another idea that Paul brings up. If there be no resurrection of the dead, then faith becomes an empty dream. If there is no resurrection of the dead, then faith become an empty dream. Notice again at the end of verse 14. And if Christ be not risen, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. What is our faith in? Our faith is in an object, and that's in Jesus Christ. That faith, <coughs> that our faith comes from Jesus Christ being alive. If Jesus Christ is not risen from the dead, then what are we trusting in? Because if Jesus isn't alive, then we're trusting in someone that's dead. And a dead person can't do anything for us. Our faith is empty. Our faith is dead. Notice that we see something else in verse 15. If the, there be no resurrection, then Christians are false witnesses. Then Christians are false witnesses. Verse 15. Yea, and we be found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, of whom he raised not up. If so, then the dead be not risen. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. Meaning that we're all liars. That's what all Christianity is based upon. The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if Jesus be not raised, raised, we're all liars. We're believing in a lie. We're hoping and trusting in a lie. And we're propagating a lie. We're all liars. If there be no resurrection. What else do we learn? If there be no resurrection, we're yet in our sins. If there is no resurrection, we're still in our sins. Verse 17. If Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. Yea, ye are yet in your sins. If Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead, remember that's the receipt. That means we have to pay our own penalty before God. We all are not forgiven of our sins. We owe God a debt called hell. This is an awful thing. If, we, if there's no resurrection, we are still yet in our sins with no hope of forgiveness. That means there's no hope. You might as well go do whatever you want because there's no hope. The resurrection is an important idea. Notice something else. If there be no resurrection, then our loved ones are perished. If there is no resurrection, then our loved ones are perished. Verse 18. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Jesus Christ are perished. That means my favorite grandmother, if she, does, if she had accepted Christ, then that's just a fallacy. I'll never see her again. No wonder there are people that have no hope at funerals. If I have no hope that I'll see my loved one again, that's a brokenness. That they're gone from me forever. It's one of the great hopes we have as a Christian is that if they've accepted Christ and we've accepted Christ, we will see them again in a great reunion day. It's something we get to look forward to. But if there is no resurrection, I will not see my loved ones ever again when they die. That's a heartbreaking thing. Something else that we see 
If there be no resurrection, then we men are most miserable. Notice with me verse 19. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. If our hope is in Christ, which Christianity is based off of, and Jesus be not raised, we're miserable because we have no hope. Why try to live a good moral life if this is all I have? Why not just try to make the most of it, have the most fun, get the most enjoyment? Why don't I just determine what's right for my life if I have nothing to live for, if I have no hope? Then people are miserable. You know, it's amazing to watch people who don't believe in religion, who don't believe in Christ, that they try to get, do everything they can to fulfill the empty spot in their life and they're still so miserable. That if Christ be not risen, then we're all miserable and we're all in the same boat. But let me show you some good news, verse 20. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. Paul says, listen, all that was what if, let me tell you the truth, Jesus is risen. And because he's risen, we have hope. We're going to see our loved ones again. We have hope that we can have forgiveness of sins. We have hope that we're going to live forever. We have hope of a brand new body. We have hope in the world that we live in today. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is a very, very important idea. And so, dear friend, if you've never trusted Jesus as your personal Savior, then, dear friend, I want to encourage you today to receive this hope. For those of you who have accepted Jesus your hope, may I ask, how is your heart? How is your obedience? Remember, you become hard-heartened by disobeying God's Word. Are you reading God's Word on a daily basis? Are you faithful to church when you have the opportunity to be here? All of that deals with us having a heart that's prepared to receive what God has given to us. And when we disobey, our hearts get hardened bit by bit by bit until we get to the place like the disciples that we just don't believe God. We don't believe that God kept his word. We don't believe his word is true. And because of that, because we don't trust the character of the Bible, we don't trust the character of the God who gave us the Bible. We need to have a brand new vision of God and see that God is a God who keeps his word. And the greatest evidence that God keeps his word is the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.